Yes, it's Monday, and you know what that means. It's time to talk about ghosts with me, Kevin Eustace. I still repeat that intro, don't I? I should stop doing that. Anyway, I hope that you're all fantastically well, as is the podcaster's mantra, but I mean it, and that you're enjoying your festivities to date. Yes, Christmas season is well and truly in full swing. And a few people have been saying, are you going to still put an episode out at Christmas? And yeah, of course we are. We may even release it a day early. We may put it out on what's known as Boxing Day here in the UK and in some other territories too. So we may do that. We'll be hungover, of course, because I will drink on Christmas Day. Yes, even as a teetotaler. Well, it's a teetotaler with an asterisk because I will drink when I choose. Yes, I will not be peer pressured into drink. No, but I will drink on Christmas Day. Yes, I will. So we have an amazing show for you today. Now, there's going to be a bit of a change for Becca's Reddit Corner today because she's doing a charity work all this weekend. She does a lot of work for charity, mate. And um, she's done it yesterday, she's done it all today, and it's taken up all of her time. So she's not had a chance to record anything. So I'm going to either have to do it myself or wangle something up. I haven't decided yet, but we'll all learn together at the end of the show. Also, a couple of announcements. Number one. I think there's only one announcement, actually. Go and check out Royal Philharmonic Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, you know the show. It's Matt's show with Freya. Yeah, wonderful Matt. And um, I'm on it this week. Yay. It's uh, just in time for Christmas. A nice little Christmas present, yes. And we discuss my top 10 horror films. And you will find out quickly, I don't necessarily have a top 10. I have a top three. But I can discuss seven others too. So go and check that out. Royal Philharmonic Chainsaw Massacre, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as you know, this show can only exist really because of our wonderful Patreons. You guys have literally changed my life. And I mean that sincerely. This week, I left my job. I still have to work part-time. But it means I can then, from next week, because my last day was Friday, I can put a lot more of my time into podcasting and into making these shows better, more frequent, you know, just more in-depth. I can just spend much more time in it, and that's solely down to you guys. And it's nice that it's kind of a two-way street. I'm providing the content, and you guys are providing me with a change of life. That's just insane. So thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart. I sincerely mean it. Now, when you sign up to Patreon, if you like me, and you like the show, and you like how it sounds, and all that jazz, you get a much more informal version over on Patreon. Now, output-wise, it's actually quite large compared to most other shows. It's um, You get two extra shows a week, not a month, not bi-weekly. You get two extra shows a week over on Patreon. You do. You get one midweek where it's me rambling about life and stuff, not paranormal. And on a Sunday, you get a paranormal show. Yes, you do. Although, little asterisks there, this week's paranormal show ain't that paranormal. But that's because... I've just finished work. I've got a lot to say. And yeah, and it's we have a bit of a laugh over on Patreon. So if you'd like to become a Patreon and join that team over there, and it is like a team, go over to patreon.com forward slash we need to talk about ghosts. I nearly said something else there. But it is patreon.com forward slash we need to talk about ghosts. Treat yourself for Christmas. Why not? There's about a hundred odd plus episodes over there. So you can have a little binge in your downtime over Christmas. Um, and when you do so, I also say thank you via the medium of song, which I'm going to do right now. Your guitar is well and truly out. We need to say thank you to three new wonderful Patreons, Teresa Baxter, Kath Doherty, and Gregory Kirkpatrick. And this song is for you. Teresa Baxter, Kath Doherty, Gregory Kirkpatrick. You signed up to the Patreons, and I'm so glad about it. Teresa Baxter, Kath Doherty, Gregory Kirkpatrick. 
you signed up to the Patreon And I'm gonna sing about it And I wanna say thank you I wanna say yeah, thank you Signed up and you're keeping the lights on too Ooh, I wanna say thank you I wanna say yeah, thank you Signed up and you're keeping the lights on too Ended it on a seventh there. Yes, I did. Thank you. And don't forget, guys, go to patreon.com forward slash we need to talk about ghosts. Now let's have a review, shall we? Okay. So today's review, you wonderful people, where I review so you don't have to, and I know that doesn't make sense, is the show Hellier. Now, if you're into the paranormal, you will have seen or you will have heard at least of Hellier. Hellier is brilliant for several reasons. Right. If you want to know what it's about, you kind of have to watch it to see. But it's um, it's all about an email that comes into this paranormal research group. It's very, it's all true, allegedly. Uh, an email comes into a paranormal research group that they had as teenagers, and they reread this email again or something similar, like ten years on, and go, "Should we look into this?" And it's great. It's great from that setup. But you never really get any closure from it. It's about like the Kentucky Goblin and things like this. And they go to a place called Hellier, which is full of paranormal weirdness and synchronicities. The key word of the show is synchronicities. They get a load of them happening. And it's great because it's done, especially season one, is done very well. And that's the one we'll review. Season two, I think, hit and miss. Season one, I liked. I really did like it. And I think if you're into the, you know, what's the book? There was that big famous book that's done the rounds years ago, Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code. I don't read normally, don't read fiction anyway. And that book was great for me because it was done in a certain way that at the end of each chapter, you really wanted to carry on. So I think I and lots of people throughout the world ended up staying up far later than they wanted to because they were like, I'll just read the next one. I'll just read the next one. Hellier for me was a bit like that because it was always like, well, how does that get explained? The trouble and the downside with Hellier is that it doesn't really get explained. Spoiler alert. Well, it's not really a spoiler. But the journey's still very enjoyable. I really enjoyed it. And there's some stuff that they do which you're like, that's really interesting. You know, like they have methods of trying to communicate with be it spirits or paranormal entities or goblins, if you will, that are kind of interesting, like this Estes method where you put like you have one guy sat in a room listening to a spirit box, but he can't hear anything else. And people in another room then ask questions. And he has to shout out if he gets an answer through. And that's a nice little interesting thing, which I was first exposed to by watching Hellia, this Estes method. Bit too similar to Eustace for my liking. I'll have to develop the Eustace method. I don't know what that'll be. Probably you just get drunk and shout things and people go, oh, it's the devil. Um, But yeah, the review for Hellia is this. If you want something you can binge and you want to get really involved in something, they're really enjoyable characters as well. They're very likable. It's a very good show, I think. Season two for me didn't do it, but season one is two thumbs up about waist level. So if you've got time on your hands, you're looking for something to fill that void, watch Hellier season one. That will be Kev's review and comment. Two thumbs up. And now, of course, it's time for your wonderful listener correspondence, where we look at your true listener ghost stories, which is the best part of the show. It's why we're all here, isn't it? I mean, I like to waffle, as you well know, but in the new format, we try and keep the waffling to a minimum and the paranormal to a maximum. Could be a slogan, though. I'll have to work on that. Anyway, our first email in today is from 
well, I think it's an anonymous person because there's no name mentioned and the email doesn't give it away at all. And I'm obviously not going to read out someone's email address. But the email goes like this. Well, it's actually entitled the email, Your Podcast and Ghostly Experiences. Ooh. You say, good morning, Kevin. Good morning. All the way from Australia. Well, good day. As I write this email, it's just after midnight. Almost an hour after I've come home from work, I was aimlessly scrolling through Spotify and came across your podcast. I don't even know why I feel the need to email you and tell you my experiences, but I do. Interesting. This is the email from Anonymous in Australia. I have many stories. I don't expect you to use them, and to be honest, I've had a hard time believing them, so to speak. The crazy thing is that I am the one who experienced them. It's as you said in your first podcast, it leaves you wondering if you even experienced what you did. I've had many experiences from a young age relating to the paranormal, and it doesn't just stop at unexplainable things. I also predict things, telling people things that will happen seconds before it happens. The scariest one was predicting the fact I would be stabbed 27 multiple times whilst I was in my teens. However, coming from an ultra-religious family, these senses and feelings were not encouraged. I have seen spirits, heard them. Wait until I see them. People walking around who are faceless in dark hooded cloaks. Full body clear as day apparitions. I also once heard footsteps following me round in the bowels of a local building. Many think it was the reverberation of my footsteps off the concrete walls. But these footsteps carried on long after I had stopped walking. I constantly see someone at my work walking through a certain door, but no one ever passes them by. I guess you could say I also had an attachment. The attachment wouldn't go away and ended up bringing spirits from the seven gates of hell. They ended up, for want of a better word, possessing me. But to be completely honest, I would rather experience these things ten times over than not have listened to my gut instincts about the impending assault I received. The prediction and what I saw that night confirmed that there is a place that I guess you could call hell, and what I saw coming out of it, for me, still gives me the creeps and it gives me goosebumps. And yet afterwards, I experienced again something that cannot be explained, something the police cannot even explain. I don't even know where to begin to tell you about the experience without sending an email so long it would bore you. Thank you for telling the stories of many people like myself who experience things that many other people find unplausible. A new female fan in Australia. Wow, Kev, pick an easy one to start with, eh? Bloody hell. You were stabbed 27 times. Oh my Jesus, wept. That's terrifying. I can't, I can't even fathom. Oh my Lord. Um, what do you do? As a podcaster, what do you do when you receive an email like that? I don't fucking know. What am I meant to do with that information? But I tell you what I will say, new female fan in Australia, the email will not bore me, I guarantee you. So please take the time, if you will kindly, write out that email and send it in because we need to delve a little bit deeper into who you are and what the hell you're going through because that's amazing. It's obviously not amazing. It was obviously horrific. Nobody likes being stabbed 27 times, I imagine. 
But hopefully you're still alive while you're sending emails, unless you're a ghost. But on a serious note, please, that's horrific, by the way. Let's not make light of that. That's fucking horrific. Oh my God. But please do send your story in. And the email address, well, this seems like a very um, inappropriate segue. But the email address, as ever, is contact at talkaboutghost.com. Wow. I did not expect that. As you guys know, I don't pre-read these emails. I go to my email account. I look at what I've starred, which means read, and then I go to the next one up. Okay? And I don't pre-read them. So you get my genuine reaction. And I think we can all agree this is a genuine reaction. But sincerely, thank you for sending the email in. And do send up the send in even the follow-up. Okay, let's have the next one. Hopefully, something easier to digest. Our next email comes in from one of our wonderful Patreons, Omen Obscurum. Yes, best name that's ever written into this, I think. So thank you, Omen. And he writes, Hi, Kev, Becca, and the neighbor's cat. Hello, hello, and meow. Let me start off by saying I really enjoy the show's new format. Well, thank you. Both the old format and the new, as well as the dark paranormal. Thank you. The stories in this email are all associated with my childhood home. I lived there for 13 years of my life and both myself and my oldest sister experienced many things whilst living there. But with the exception of my first story, I think we're the only two of our six-member family to have these happenings. Okay. These are Omen's stories. The first story involves my mother and my uncle. The house we lived in was inherited from him after he died after a prolonged illness. Before his death, he was in home hospice and my mum would often sit with him. During one of those times she was with him and they were both alone, he looked to her and asks who all of the people in his room were. My mother asked him if he knew any of them, to which he replied, no. So in the style that is very much my mother, she told him that they must be angels to watch over him. I know that story could easily be explained away due to medication, but knowing the experiences I would have later, I do truly believe that something extraordinary went on. After he passed on, my family moved in and that is when my sister and I started to experience things. My sister had a room in the front of our house and I had a room adjacent to that. These two rooms were original to the house which was built in the 1950s. Between the 50s and the late 80s when my family moved in, there were two additional bedrooms added to the house. One a converted garage and another in the back of the house, which my parents used. Soon after moving in, my sister, who was a young teen at the time, started to experience many things in her bedroom, including floating and mysteriously smashed porcelain figures and ceramic drama masks that she had hanging on her walls. According to my sister, she would see these objects floating in the air when she would enter her bedroom and then they would suddenly drop to the floor. On one occasion, a ceramic mask that was hanging on her wall flew across the room with enough force to shatter into pieces against the opposite wall. She would also see shadow figures in the house as well. On one notable occasion, I walked by her room and she asked me what I was doing to which I confusedly replied, What do you mean? To which she replied, You keep walking by the door, and when I talk to you, you just keep walking by. And why have you changed your clothes? Again, in my confusion, I tell her I didn't change my clothes, and I don't know what she's talking about. According to her, 
she'd seen someone wearing all black who kept passing by her door and she thought I was just trying to mess with her and her friend who was over at the time. These patterns continued for a while and we grew used to them. Like I said, I was in the room adjacent to my sister, but I never had the floating objects or black clad figures. What I had was more benign in my opinion, but still confusing. I very often experienced lost toys. Now I know children lose toys, however toys would disappear as I was playing with them. I had two plastic cars, one green and one red, that I would play with every day. One day I was sitting in the centre of a circle of my toys that I was playing with and the cars were included in those. I turned around to play with a toy on one side of the circle and when I turned back for the cars, the green one was missing. I can still recall the confusion of my young brain that I was playing with this and I turned round and it disappeared. I never saw that car again. And again, years passed and these patterns continued, but something that you just accept and nothing ever escalated. My sister eventually moved away from the home and I moved into her old room. After I moved into that room, I experienced more of the same things that she experienced. Every night as I was laying in bed going to sleep, I would see shadows moving in my room and I would hear shuffling. I was the type of teen that kept my room dark. I am talking blackout curtains and black walls kind of dark. Yet the shadows that I would see would somehow be darker than my very dark room. This was the type of thing that was very hard to get used to and I even bought a pet rat that I kept in an enclosure near the head of my bed so that at night when I would hear noises in my room I would have a logical source for the noises even if in the back of my mind I knew it wasn't always the rat. While I lived in this room I never had anything fly off my walls or break but I would often have electronics turn on or off seemingly by themselves. I had a particular board game that had an electronic component that would just turn on and start playing the music even though it was off or in a box put away in the closet. On one occasion a friend and I were in my room playing a video game and I excused myself to use the toilet. While I was away, I heard loud music coming from my room. When I came back into the room, my friend was visibly upset. In his telling, my CD player came on and started playing on its own. This was the type of CD player that you needed to flip a switch to the on position and press play before it would play, and I always left it off when not using it. So the fact it started playing music without anyone moving the switch or pressing the button is perplexing. The last account I will write in this email is something that happened when I was about 16 and home alone. Like I said, I was home alone and decided to go to the kitchen for a drink. When I got to the middle of the kitchen, something grabbed my shoulder and, with force, turned me around. I can say that sheer panic and fear that I experienced then in that moment was extreme and long-lasting. I immediately ran outside and stayed there until one of my parents came home. That single experience cemented my belief in the paranormal, despite every fibre of my being trying to explain otherwise. I do have other experiences that I may lay down in another email, but for now, I will sign off. Thanks for all that you're doing.
Omen, not only do you have the coolest name in Christendom, you also tell a good story, my friend. So please do sit down and write those other stories and send them in too. Contact at talkaboutghost.com. I tell you what is terrifying about that. You know the ideas of the masks being on the wall and as your sister goes into the room, they seem to be floating in midair and then dropping. Imagine if that was a group of ghosties all having a little play, acting out a scene, and then in walks your sister, and they're like, nope, be a ghost again, drop. Terrifying. Especially the darkness as well, the shadows of dark, which are darker than dark. Yes, it's the stuff of nightmares, Omen. So please send your other stories in. And you don't just have to be like Omen or like our first female fan in Australia. If you've got any paranormal tales, you can send them in to contact at talkaboutghosts.com. If anyone's wondering where we're up to, um, we're currently up to date-wise, Omens was mid-November, okay? So if you've sent one in since and you're like, why hasn't mine been read out? That's why. We're catching up. But do send them in because that's how the show works. Okay. Now, Becca is away. She's away doing charity work and um, we still are going to have Becca's Reddit Corner because the format of this show will not change, goddammit, just because one of the persons or people are away. So I don't know how this is going to pan out, but this is Becca's Reddit Corner. Minus Becca. Ladies and gentlemen, now it is time for Paranormal Reddit Corner with Becca. She's not here. I don't know what to tell you. So what I thought we would do is, because the show's now been going for a number of years, almost three years, if not longer, um, I have managed to source some footage, I say footage, some audio of way back when, like within the first month of the show, right, where I discussed the Enfield poltergeist with Becca. So it's not from Reddit this time around, but I thought this would be a good laugh because we still get Becca on the show. No one will remember this shit. and. It's a good laugh. I've just had to listen to it. So this is me and Becca discussing the Enfield poltergeist. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a bit of background about the Enfield poltergeist. Do you know anything of the Enfield poltergeist? Um, I know Enfield is in London. Right. Um, I know there was a poltergeist. We stayed close to Enfield on New Year's that time, didn't we? Yes, we did. Um, I know they claimed... Didn't they make a lot of money afterwards? No. People who claimed it. I mean, they've made money from it, but not a lot. I mean, I've no account for that at all, really. Okay. No basis for what I just said there. No. Okay, so, I will tell you a brief history. It's better be brief. It is, I'm getting it from Wikipedia. Oh. So, this is for your ears, Becca, because the, these guys know the Enfield Poltergeist story. Oh, well then don't bore them. No, but it's always an interesting topic, and it's good to get your point of view on it. Don't bore them, how dare you? <laughs> Why don't you say it? If they know all about it, don't go well, on. Well, Certainly don't do this for my benefit. I am doing it for your benefit. You lucky, lucky thing. Almas, you lucky, lucky thing. Stop that, stop that right now. It's a lovely song. Stop um, Anyway, Randy Crawford, I think. Anyway. The Enfield Poltergeist was a claim of supernatural activity at 284 Green Street, a council house in Brimsdown, Enfield, England, between 77 and 79, involving two sisters aged 11 and 13. Okay? Mm-hmm. Some members of the Society for Psychical Research, such as inventor Morris Gross... you know what he invented? No. Do you know when you're at a bus stop and you see a rotating advertisement? Yes. He invented that. Okay. He made a lot of money. Which allowed him to go and look after ghosts. He's basically look after ghosts. Well, he's got a little shelter for ghosts. <laughs> yeah. <And> like retired ghosts. <laughs> yeah, all right. He allowed him to go look 
four ghosts. Right. It's basically my idol, in really. That's what I'm trying to do. Okay. Um, and writer Guy Lyon, Lyon Playfair, who he did make a lot of money out of, to be fair. He made a lot of money. Um, and they both believed the haunt to be genuine. While others, such as Anita Gregory and John Belloff, were unconvinced and found evidence the girls had faked incidents for the benefit of journalists. Mm-hmm. Members of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, including stage magicians such as Milbourne Christopher... Members of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Yeah. What a club. You'd be good on that, yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I would be good on um, And Joe Nickel criticised paranormal investigators for being credulous whilst also identifying features of the case as being indicative of a hoax. Right. Okay. The story attracted considerable press coverage in British newspapers such as the Daily Mail and Daily Mirror. Oh, well, if it was in the mail. Well, yeah. But I don't think it was as bad in those days, the mail. Yeah. Well, then again, it didn't they have that John... Uh, who was the fascist fella? John Mosley or something? He's a wrestler, wasn't he? Um, and it's now been loads of television series and dramatising horror films. So that's the genesis of Enfield. Nice. Okay, that's it very briefly. Now, so you've got your key players there. Okay. The family are called the Hodgsons. Okay. A single mother. Right. She's got three kids. Yeah. Two teenage girls and one young boy. How young is young? Um, I think he was about seven or eight. Okay. Um, and the other key players are Morris Gross, who was the investigator who came on behalf of the Society for Psychical Research, or the SPR. Okay? Yeah. Now, they're a very respected Oxford-based organisation um, who've looked at paranormal things for years, hundreds of years. It's a very. You need to be very well to do to apply to get into it and all this. Carry on. But they're not the sceptical people. They're, they're not the sceptical. The, the um, committee for sceptical inquiry mm-hmm. are kind of. I don't think that they're nemesis, but you know, the, both together they give a all-round picture. You right. get both points. Okay. So the um, so that was that. So basically, what happened there was that Peggy Hodgson, who was the mother, mm-hmm. right. Um, she called police to her home in Enfield in 77 in August, claiming that she had witnessed furniture moving and that two of her four children, she had four children apparently, um, said that knocking sounds were heard on the walls. The children included Margaret, 13, and Janet, 11. Now, Janet is the key um, person that this all centred around. The 11-year-old. The 11-year-old. Okay. A police constable, a police constable, Becca. I understand said that she saw a chair wobble and slide and could not determine the cause of movement. She's went on record to say that. Right. Later claims included disembodied voices, loud noises, thrown toys, overturned chairs, and children levitating. Although I, even I think the levitation's a bit of a lie. Right. Because there's photos of her clearly jumping out of bed. But the key thing about the jumping out of bed photos is not her jumping out of bed. If you look to... I'll show you these photos shortly. If you look to the left, you see the curtain entwining with the duvet. So there's this, like a there's a series of photos you see her stood on the bed mid air of the bed in jump and then coming down, so it's like a timed sequence, but it just looks like she's jumping. But the three photos show the bed curling into the curtain more and more, which I think is the scarier part. Kevin speaking that is. Um, so over a period of the next eighteen months, more than thirty people, including neighbours, psychic researchers, journalists, said they saw heavy furniture. I very variously saw heavy furniture moving of its own accord, objects being thrown across a room, and their daughters seemingly levitate several feet off the ground. They also heard and recorded knocking and a gruff voice. The activity then came to an end in 1979, just as Kevin Eustace was born. Ooh. Ooh. Coincidence? Coincidence? You tell me. So, the SPR members, Morris Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair, 
said that they would go and investigate. Okay, now Playfair was a uh, not a journalist; he was an author, and he wrote a book called "This House Is Haunted: True Story of the Poltergeist." No, for that about the okay. case, and he made a lot of money about it. Um, however, he often doubted the children's veracity and wondered if they were still playing tricks and exaggerating. Okay. However, they did both believe that most of this of the activity was genuine, but some of it was fake. They still both said that some of it was faked. And their reason for it being was that the girls would say that whenever people came around to try and prove it was real, nothing would happen. But because it was real, they wanted them to believe, so they would fake it. Do you think that makes sense for two teenagers to do that? I mean, the way to try and prove something to someone is is absolutely not by faking it, isn't it? If there was a way of making people disbelieve you, it's by faking it. Yeah, but if you were a child and you seen a cup move on its own and then you called around all the adults and nothing happened and they said, she's making it up. If you thought, of, I'll knock that with me hand, would you think, I'll knock that with me hand so that they at least believe something's going on? Yeah, I can see why it's possible that that's the conclusion they came to, but that was a poor decision. It was a poor decision, I agree with that. Because she was actually caught on video camera bending spoons um, and stuff and then trying to blame it on a ghost. Yeah. But, however, one of the crooks of this whole story is that she was then, Janet was, possessed <laughs> by the alleged spirit called Bill. Right. Right. Okay. And he was a guy who lived there. Now, and is allegedly the ghost that haunts the place. Right. So I'm going to play you some of the footage of Janet possessed. Okay? Talking as Bill. Now, don't worry. She's not like... Nah, nah, nah. She's a bit like that, but she's answering normal questions. Now, there's an interesting thing that I want you to know about this. Okay. Some of the investigators have said that it was staged and that she was just very good at mimicking a voice and she was possibly practicing ventriloquism. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, other investigators, when they've listened to the voice, have found out that the voice is actually coming from behind her. How did you find that out? You placing the microphone, and um, the noise that any vibration that was coming out of her neck was using vocal cords that we don't use. What do you mean that we don't use? I don't know. I'm just saying what I read. No, don't make stuff up. So- I'm not <laughs> What do you mean vocal cords that we don't use? Apparently there's like a set of false vocal cords that a 13-year-old girl couldn't use or a 12-year-old girl couldn't use. So shouldn't have been able to use for her age or humans in general can't use? Shouldn't have been able to use for her age. Let's go with that. Well, now you're not sticking to your story. Listen, don't shoot the messenger. I'm not. I just, you're not being clear. You're, you're saying, you're saying clear. different things. So I'm trying to get to the bottom of actually what you're saying. Anyway, and talking about getting to the bottom of stuff, I'm going to play you some footage of Janet talking as Bill. Okay? Right. One sec. Okay, are you ready to hear some... the sound of Bill coming from Janet? Yes. Okay. What make you of this? Let me hear you say my name. Come on. Let me hear you say my name. That's not my name. Is that a bark? It's come from a child. Say, say Dr. Bellock. Or is it? 
I'm broke. Can't you squeak the bed? I can't hear you talking. Now, say Dr. Bellon. Come on. Come on, say it for me, Dr. Bellon. In church, I've arrived in church. Yeah. With what graveyards it say it's come from? Um, I don't know. It's in I used to live here. Don't know what he's saying. No idea what he's saying. But what do you think of that? Oh, what the happened when you died? Listen. Just before you died and just after you died. Let's see what he said. So that's an 11-year-old girl mm-hmm. saying that oh, hold on, saying that she went blind, she had a hemorrhage, and she fell asleep in the corner chair in the living room. Right. What 11-year-olds do you know that would use the word hemorrhage? One who's done research into how people have died. One who's what? Can you speak up? One who's done research into how people have died. How, what, which, the internet didn't exist in 1970. Oh, so no one could ever do any research? The only people who knew the word hemorrhage were doctors. (laughs) (laughs) Citation needed. Citation needed. No, but that's an 11-year-old child, female child, at that. Because at least, you know what, if it was a lad, I'd say, all right, a lad's like, going through through the change. So he's like, oh, listen to more voice. How can I do this? Whereas, she's a sweet little girl. Is she sweet? Yeah. She's a sweet little innocent possessed (laughs) girl. Yeah, is she? Yeah. But children can do voices like that. How do you know? I feel like we've seen I can't that. do voices like that. Hello. Oh, yeah, I can, yeah. All right, yeah. Yeah, but I'm a man. I'm a man, Yeah, I know, baby. but I think kids can do voices like that, especially when they practice. Yeah, I'm sure they can. Didn't we see someone once... I forget where or what we were watching. It must be one of your ridiculous things. Where, nice. Where it was a similar thing, where the, this girl had been doing these voices of being possessed, and she was, like, actually, like, laughing, and she'd it's admitted... Janice. It was Janice. Well, then she didn't she... admit it. But she just came out with it in like normal conversation. Yeah, she was just sat smiling and saying hello. Yeah, exactly. So it was clearly a black. It wasn't clearly a black. It was because she wasn't just in and out getting possessed then and just laughing she and was... saying hello. Was she? <laughs> she, like, was. she wasn't. But why wasn't she? Doubt her. What do you mean? It was. It was just a normal conversation, and then she was just putting on the voice every now and again for a laugh. Do you want to know something which is both spooky and sad? <laughs> do. I guess so, yeah. For the okay. purpose of the podcast, yes. Okay. Morris Gross, right? Mm-hmm. I might have told you this before, but Morris Gross believed everything that went on, right? Yeah. 
even though he'd admitted that he'd seen them faking. He said, and he, the reason he said, like I said before, was that he thought he just wanted the adults to believe them. But he believed these girls, especially Janet. Mm. He's very fond of Janet. Mm. And he, as I say, he invented stuff. He wanted to look, after, look at the paranormal or look after ghosts. Yeah. Um, and got this case, and he was a big believer in Janet. People argue in later life nowadays that the reason for that, now we know a lot about Morris, was that what got him into the paranormal was he had a daughter um, who went abroad and she died in a motorbike accident. Oh. And she was decapitated oh. in this motorcycle accident. Oh, um, and he received a card, a birthday card. She died like two days before her birthday or something right. over, overseas. And he received a birthday card sent by her brother, I think, to her at his address. Mm. And when they opened it, it was a... On the front was a picture of her on a bike, and inside it said um, something like "keep your head on" or something. And there won't be much of that left either soon, because he meant like she'd be bevied, you know, like something to do with. He, there was reference to a head falling off, but as a joke about alcohol, right? In the card, which he seen as a coincidence thing, and her name was Janet, right? And apparently he went a little bit. Do you think he has a bit of a soft spot for this Janet? For this Janet. And he was also a bit obsessed with trying to f- prove life after death because of what happened to his daughter. Mm. So when this Janet came on the scene and no one believed her, he was very much believing it. That is very sad. It's not spooky, but it's very sad. It's spooky what happened to his daughter and the car and all that. Not really. It is. It's not spooky. It's very sad what happened to his daughter. It's not spooky. No, it is spooky. <laughs> right, You've saying. got that wrong, Becca. That's... That, that... How dare you get that wrong? Now, I'll tell. I'll, let me find out the actual thing with Morris, with his daughter. Um, psychical investigator. Duh, 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 duh. No, doesn't say. Early life. That must be it. Yeah, here we go. A personal tragedy launched Gross into psychical research when his daughter Janet was killed in a motorbike accident in August '76. Following her death, Gross reported that members of his family experienced a number of coincidences and psychic happenings, which led him to join the Society for Psychical Research and the Ghost Club in 1977. Then he went on to investigate the thing. I thought there'd be more about that, but it's not. Yeah. Gross was so convinced of Janet's voices that he offered £1,000 to anyone who could duplicate the voice by ventriloquism or any other form of trickery. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, how was that £1,000 not claimed? Because that must have been very easy for people to do. Well, I don't know. Was it claimed, in fact? It doesn't say. What it does say, though, is that in 1998, Morris Gross sued comedian David Bedil for £10,000 after Bedil described a psychic investigator called Morris Gross who lives in High Barn at North London and runs away with a married woman in Badil's novel Time for Bed they settled out of court and Gross gave his sizeable winnings to charity because his name was Morris Gross he was a psychic investigator and he lived in the same place coincidence not coincidence David Badil basically based it on (laughs) him you can't do that you know no you can't because you end up losing £10,000 so very brief but what given what I've told you there which is the first information you've received about the Enfield hauntings I mean, there's a load more we could do it, and we will do at some point in the next few months. Me and you sit down and do a bigger take apart for the full show. 
But from this little gleaning of the Enfield poltergeist, what do you take? I think that little girl was definitely blagging. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And that's it? Short, short and sweet? She's a blag artist? Yeah, I just, yeah, she's just not buying it. The fact you can't... I feel like possession just doesn't work in that way where it just flicks in and out so she can be like like perfectly normal, natural, lucid, and then just come up with, hello, my name's Bill. I'm like, crack out, you know, it's... And then back, like, straight back to it, you know, it's completely, like, calm and happy about it. Uh, no, I'm not having it. Oh, fair enough. All right, well, what if... Um, look at these skulls here. Skulls outside on, on quads having a race. Oh, yeah. I hope they die. Oh, real cool. Um, so, what if I just... All of a sudden go like this. What if I get possessed? You wouldn't believe it. Right, so there's two things there. There's you going, what if I all of a sudden go like this? Mm-hmm. Which is one thing. That's just you doing that. And then it's, what if I get possessed? Which is a completely, they're two very different questions, aren't they? But that's the thing, I, I, because I believe that possession could happen. But therefore, because you don't, I'm concerned that I could get possessed and you'd just be like, oh, what do you like? I'm <laughs> just like packing in. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Whereas I'd be like up on the ceiling, vomiting blood. Well, what would you want me to do? Get a priest. Right. Get two priests, a young one and an old one. Catholic or Anglican? Catholic? Anglican? What? what the Anglican one's going to do, bring the wives along? The devil would laugh at that. What the Catholic one's going to do? Say, we're celibate, we haven't got wives. Now you're fucked, Satan. I better stop this here before we get a bit Yeah, no, Catholic I'm going to stop it, I'm going to stop it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for your time. And okay. um, we look forward to your scepticism in a future episode. Say bye to all the patrons. Bye, patrons. Thank you very much. Yes, and thank you very much, patrons, as I do say to you. I'll let you get... How many hangers are there? A lot. I've counted 40. And well, I've made that In that time, up. Rain yeah, Man. I am Rain Man. Thank you very much. Powers of a Catholic, you see. Silly Anglican. Powers of a Catholic. Are you an Anglican? But we've never established this. No, I'm non-denominational. You're non-denominational? Yeah. What do you mean, duh? I get duh just because I'm not religious. God will smote thee. Smote. Smite? Smote? I don't know. Oh no, I don't want to be smoted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well thank you Rebecca, this has been a pleasure. Welcome. Bye. So there we go, a little conversation from three years ago of me and Becca discussing the Enfield Poltergeist. Bit lengthy that, wasn't it? But I thought every time I tried to edit it down, it was it didn't make sense, you know, so I'd try and edit it down a bit and then Becca would go like, but why is he sending a postcard? I'd be like, oh shit, you have to keep the postcard bit in. So yeah, there you go, a one-off because she'll be back next week. Oh yes, she will. When we will have ourselves a Boxing Day special because we're going to record it on Boxing Day. We may even release it on Boxing Day. You never know. And Boxing Day for everyone who doesn't have a Boxing Day is the day after Christmas. So I will not speak to you now till after Christmas. So I hope you and yours have a spectacular Christmas and everything you want, you get delivered in a little wrapped up box. And you know what? If you're having a very awful Christmas and it's just not going well, Don't worry, it will get better. And feel free to inbox me in any of the socials if you're having a crap time. And I don't know what I'll do, but I'll probably tell you a shit joke. And, you know, because we're all one big family army. Hooray! Okay, you wonderful, wonderful, and dare I say beautiful people, I will speak to you on Boxing Day, possibly, and if not, then the day after, the Monday. And I love you all. Enjoy Christmas, enjoy your loved ones, and tatty bye.